Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. You know, what's interesting about a really good story, as with so many other things in life, is that a whole lot of how you understand or appreciate it comes down to a particular point of view. Sometimes, even if you've heard that story a hundred times already, all it takes is a slight change of perspective and you appreciate it in a whole new way. Actually, the Bible is filled with stories that encourage us to see things from a different point of view. That's especially true in the Gospels. And in fact, that's what we're going to look at today. It's a message based on Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, which offers up Luke's unique perspective on the Beatitudes. And it's entitled, Blessed Are You. want to show you something this morning. This is probably amongst the very first textbooks I ever purchased as a seminary student, and it is one that still holds a place on my crowded bookshelf. It is a copy of Gospel Parallels, and it was edited by no less than our own esteemed New Testament professor, the late Burton Throckmorton. And this particular volume served a unique purpose in that it presents the three synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in such a way that you are able to read all the identical or similar passages side by side. In other words, if you're interested in comparing how each of those gospels, for instance, records the events of the crucifixion, it's all right there on one page, complete with all the footnotes and the textual cross-references. So it's an essential tool for biblical study and exegesis, and that's why it was one of the first texts assigned to us. But perhaps even more than this, for me anyway, it has served uh, as a palpable reminder that Holy Scripture tells a story. Not only that, it's a collection of stories, each one of those stories told in its own unique way. Such is the case with the four Gospels and the story of Jesus. Now, by most historical accounts, Mark's Gospel, with its very precise language and great brevity, came first followed by Matthew and then Luke, who drew from Mark's account and then expanded upon it, including, for instance, the, the story of Jesus' birth. And in the case of Luke, even writing a second volume, which records the Acts of the Apostles. And then there's, finally, there's John's Gospel. And John's Gospel is sometimes referred to as the spiritual gospel in that it does look at Jesus' story through a more deeply theological lens. It is there for us to understand the why of the Lord's coming. But the thing is, it's all the same story, by and large. At times, and you find this in Gospel Parallels, at times the stories are even word for word the same. It's all about Jesus' miracles and his teachings, uh, his, his parables, the healings, and of course, uh, about his death and resurrection. 
And that's important to know. But, you know, I have to say that for me, having these four different accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really ends up being a whole lot like how family stories get told around the table, at least in our family, with one sibling having his or her own version of the story in question and the other sibling having his or her different version of the story. Maybe there's another still who offers up uh, the story with a different emphasis and maybe with bits and pieces that were previously left out. You know, and understand, it's not that the story wasn't true, and it's not that it got changed or even exaggerated somehow. Rather, this is a story that's gotten richer as it gets told from different points of view. It's the same story, but a different telling. And in the end, what's good about that is that you end up with a much better understanding of what actually happened and even more so of what it all means. Now take, for instance, our text for this morning that Kay just shared with us, Luke's version of what is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. It's generally thought of as being part of what's uh, also called the, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's how these verses are presented in Matthew as part of many teachings included in that sermon, and specifically pointing out that Jesus went up the mountain, that his disciples followed him up there, and so this is where Jesus stood to speak to the crowds who had gathered all around him below on the hillside. Now, I dare say that for most of us, that is probably the image that comes to mind when we picture Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I mean, this truly, it's the stuff of many a Sunday school paper, right? And and, and it's also, whenever you watch a biblical movie about the life of Christ, that's what you see. It's a beloved scenario that we would not seek to change. That's how much ingrained it is in our brains and our hearts. But here's the thing. Luke, in his version of the Beatitudes that we've shared this morning, does tell that same story differently. Not only does Luke claim that Jesus came down that hill with them and stood on a level place, not standing above the people, but right down there where there was this great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of others from all over and who had gathered there. It's to the point where Luke also is specific about Jesus looking up at his disciples as he's about to speak, suggesting he might actually have been sitting when he started to talk. Not only all that, but but Luke also emphasizes that the whole reason that Jesus had actually come to that level place was because so many people had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. The last verse that Kay read today, that is sharing that power came out from Jesus and that he healed all of them. And really, friends, that's a significant difference in storytelling. Because now, 
rather than this image of an incredible oration offered up to an attentive multitude from a lofty hillside cathedral, what we get in Luke is this literal throng of people who have all been pushing and shoving to get close to Jesus. Each one of them in the fervent hope and even desperate hope that they might be cured of their troubles, be relieved of their unclean spirits, to be made well. To put it bluntly, it's an overcrowded, chaotic mess of a scene. But it's in the midst of all this noise, all this confusion, that some incredible words of hope are being offered. And therein lies the the other big difference in Luke's version of this story. Because what happens on this level place is that Jesus does, in fact, heal them all. But then, as we've said, he looks up at his disciples which in and of itself not only suggests that he might have been sitting, but suggests that he was just still surrounded by all these people. Jesus looks up at his disciples and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Do you see the difference here? In Matthew, you know, it's blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, for starters, there's a slightly different selection of blessings, and that's worth noting. Matthew records eight as opposed to four in Luke. But the major difference, the one I want us to look at for just a moment, has less to do with that than it does about the point of view. In Matthew, you see, Jesus is talking about those who by their place in the world are placed squarely in the midst of the kingdom of God. Indeed, in the words of Craig Barnes of Princeton Seminary, these are the qualities that describe what life looks like under the reign of heaven. A reign that has already begun in Jesus Christ and will someday be realized. It offers us, continues Barnes, a glimpse of what it means to be a citizen of the reign of Christ. It's a blessing, a grace that pushes us on a path that takes us somewhere we did not expect to go. So, On that basis, friends, Matthew's words kind of sort of suggest that it's something that is still yet to come. And as we understand the truth of the kingdom's eventual fulfillment, you know, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, that sense of what will be does ring true. And and that's Matthew's message, and and, and actually that's the second Advent that we will be awaiting in our worship when that season of Advent begins in just a few weeks. Matthew, in other words, sets forth these Beatitudes in a way that's now, but not quite yet, which is fine and good and theologically correct. But did you hear, at least according to Luke, what Jesus said? He said, blessed are you who are poor. 
Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Luke sets forth the Beatitudes in a way that's not something that'll happen someday in the life to come, but it's a blessing that applies to life right here, right now, and life, its own self, and how it's really and truly experienced by us, you and me. And I think that's an important distinction. Because I don't know about you, friends, but I'll confess to you something. There are times in my life when I do weep. Moments when any kind of laughter or joy evades me. There have been moments when I have felt hungry, and and not simply for something to eat, but rather because in emptiness I'm yearning for something, something that I can't even name to fill up the space in my life. And yes, there are times that I'm poor. (laughs) Poor by the world's standards of wealth, perhaps, but more often poor in the sense of lacking at that moment any kind of hope or strength or spirit. By the way, it's no accident that the Greek word used here for poor, and I'm not going to say this right, is pakoi, pakoi which refers to one who crouches or cowers in fear. In fact, it's also, by the way, fun fact, where we get the slang term that sometimes kids use for spitting, patooey. I'm not kidding. So what it suggests, you know, and I know I'm screeching here, but what it suggests is someone who's been continually spat upon in their life. Friends, I am here to tell you that there have been moments in my life when I have been just about that poor in spirit. And the truth is is that unless I miss my guess, I suspect you can say the same. So isn't it good then? Isn't it a true blessing to know that in the midst of all these difficulties and challenges that we endure in this life, that ours is the kingdom of God. Isn't it good to know that in our emptiness, we will be filled up with good things? Isn't it truly hopeful to understand this assurance that even in the midst of all our tears at the moment, in the morning, the sunrise will come and we'll laugh. And while we're on the subject, isn't it also great to know, as Jesus says and as gets translated in the message, that when every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit your faith or your allegiance to God, not only are you in good company, but that when that happens, all heaven applauds the steadfastness of your faith. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that, that poverty and hunger, weeping and being hated are good things. Not, not at all, not in and of themselves. Nor is Jesus suggesting that our relief, our comfort, our recompense, if you will, is just simply some measure of pie in the sky. But he is proclaiming that in such sufferings there is joy that is already ours in the reality of God's kingdom, even now that is coming to pass. A true joy that is ours 
in having the healing power of the Lord in our times of need. To quote some words of commentary on this particular passage from the Taze faith community. Quote, hunger and poverty, weeping and hatred are sometimes unavoidable. But these situations are not the deepest reality. Behind this, already just visible, God's kingdom is present. The blessedness that Jesus promises, it says, is both an objective state of affairs for their current situation and that promise of a joy to come. Friends, what Jesus wants for us, truly what Jesus promises us for this moment, this here and now, is that in the midst of literally the worst of what life can bring you and me, is that he can show us the incredible newness and fundamental otherness of this reality that is the kingdom of heaven in our midst. And that blessedness, oh, that's good news indeed. Of course, it needs also to be said here that in Luke's version of these blessed promises, Jesus also uh, includes a few woes. As in, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are filled now. Woe to you who are laughing now. In fact, and I'm referring again to the message version of this text, in fact, there's trouble ahead for you if you think life is all fun and games or when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them. Woe to you if that's your way of life. Now those verses intentionally echo Mary's Magnificat in the Nativity story. You remember the truth that the coming of Christ and his kingdom proclaims a complete inversion of worldly ways and means. That the powerful, they're going to be brought down from their thrones and the lowly will be lifted up. The hungry will be filled with good things and the rich are sent away empty. In other words, friends, and Luke does not include that by accident. It is there to, for we to, us to remember that true happiness, true blessedness, is never wholly achieved by the world's misguided and, and all too often imbalanced standards, but rather by that of a kingdom that is even now being brought forth by this God who loves us beyond measure and who wants for us, even in the most difficult situations we encounter, to know his joy and to feel his love. So what do we say to all of this? Well, let me just again state the obvious. Life ain't easy. Life is filled with challenge and difficulty. Our days are, are met by contradictions by the number, and there's utter uncertainty at every turn. And the sad truth is that we are all too understanding, every one of us in this sanctuary, of what it means to be poor and empty and in mourning, if not physically or literally or economically, then certainly spiritually. We get it. And I dare say that most, if not all of us in this sanctuary, have felt that sting that comes from being hurt or reviled or excluded in one way or another. Like I said, life ain't easy. It's not easy at all. But that is not what life is about. That's the point. 
We know this because God in the person of Jesus Christ has loved and redeemed and brought us into his kingdom. And because of this, in the midst of this life and in the life to come, we are also blessed. Blessed are you, beloved. Blessed are you and blessed am I. For ours is the kingdom of God. Be thinking about that as we come to the table of blessing this morning. And may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Blessed Are You. It was recorded during our November 3rd service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, I'd love to have you with us to hear these messages in person at one of our worship services at East Church. We gather every Sunday at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. As I'm fond of saying, we are a small but mighty congregation and, might I add, a very welcoming one. I think you'll be glad you came. Well, that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening to the podcast on whatever platform you use, including Anchor, of course, or Spotify, Podbean, Google, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, amongst others. Check out those sites for more details on this podcast and to subscribe to receive future episodes. And while you're at it, send me your message, drop me a line, let me know what you're thinking. I would like to hear from you. Until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.